is Irish Illustrated Insider, the August 13th edition, the day after Notre Dame opens football camp officially. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And joining us today, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. The days of, uh, at least in the year of the pandemic, the days of us uh, attending as many practices as we did in the preseason are, are, are behind us, at least for this year, or at least until they get into the stadium. So, Wednesday is kind of a body count for us, and we'll go over that. Notre Dame's COVID testing, by and large, still positive, but uh, not, but nine players, uh, two tested positive, seven uh, due to contact or out of practice, and, and we move forward. We're doing body counts, guys. I mean, we're going through pictures and, and the video provided by Notre Dame and, and jotting down numbers to see exactly who is out there. It's difficult because it's, I mean, Notre Dame, I think, has been somewhat celebrated as a success story for uh, how the football program managed the pandemic and testing over the summer. Um, but to be a success story and then lose nine players for first practice is is challenging. I mean, I just, I think it just speaks to what kind of needle you're trying to thread here to play college football in the fall. Um, it's just, it's a real challenge. It's, this is going to be unlike anything that we've ever covered before. And hopefully it will be unlike anything we ever cover again. Hey, I was, no matter how much you're celebrated that it hadn't, uh, they hadn't left their self-created bubble. And as soon as there are 17 or 18 freshmen in a dorm and uh, other people going through dorms and other people even, I mean, you don't, don't want to blame it all on dorms. Other people gathering at houses and apartments, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a positive test. And then the contact tracing is key because boy, you know, they found five that they had to uh, quarantine. What If you found one, Pete, you would think, ah, you know, three guys, that's not that bad. They miss every practice. But what if they found 11? And all of a sudden, you have 13 down. So it, it's going to be – it'll be a fluid situation. Uh, look, I think if they say, you know what, it is September 4th, and we just tested, and this last round we had two tests positive and four through contact tracing our quarantine, that's probably good news down the road, right, if, if you keep it at this number? I get what Pete's saying. As soon as it gets higher, and other schools are going to have higher too, it's going to stink. Mm-hmm. But keep it at this level, I think it's a manageable situation. Yeah, what's what's difficult? You know, you 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 have two positive tests, and that could you know then contact can end up being twenty two. I know they're trying well, to be yes, real careful. Right? Yeah, I know. I mean, they're trying to be real careful about you know keeping them separated so that if there is a positive test, the the number of contact. Uh, players being sidelined uh, is limited, but man, you know, you start to get into school and, and uh, uh, the further you get into practice, it becomes more and more difficult, but all things considered, you know, this is, I wrote in today's uh, Thursday thoughts, can they get to the season? We are 30 days from kickoff today. And man, it's just, it's, it's going to be a daily battle, uh, you know, to keep pushing toward the September 12th home game against Duke. 30 sounds like too much. I don't like it when you say that. It doesn't 30, say, it's, yeah. it's just it's so far away. It, it really does. Uh, but you know what? This podcast could easily be about how a Big Ten and Pac-12 sites are handling their podcasts right now and uh, saying, well, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks when we have something to talk about. And so we got good news covering Notre Dame in the last week. Yeah, you know that big ten, could possibly had, right? Yeah, and then they, as soon as we tested, they found two positive tests. Cool. That's that's about as good. That's about the best news you can hope for. Even Notre Dame fans have to feel sorry for Michigan. Well, never mind. Maybe that's not true. But 
I mean, can you absolutely can you imagine? Well, we were scrambling. I mean, think about what we went through it on Irish Illustrated when it's like, okay, we need to start planning that if this if this is not a season, what are we going to do every day? And we, you know, we think we can still. There's so much involved in Nordic football. We can we can still put a, a, a bunch of content out there. It may not be pertinent or may not matter, uh, <laughs> and, you know, until 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 the spring. But uh, we've all covered enough uh, enough Nordic players and former Nordic players to to tap into that source. But uh, yeah, so far so good, and, and and we're not complaining. But when you talk about long thirty days what we're what we're accustomed to in terms of a seeing practice and b having access to to brian kelly and the players is going to be a long 30 days if we're limited to like say two practices in the stadium uh some some zooms with brian kelly and 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 we would ultimately we would have some zoom meetings with the players but it would be much more limited than it than it normally would be i'll take that over a long six months to the start of the spring football season i hear you nordame's roster reduced to I mean, unless our count at Irish Illustrated is off, reduced to 86 with That's uh, what I've got. Okay, the med- the medical uh sidelining of, of Cole Mabry, who we've known, you know, I think we mentioned in the podcast last week. I mean, some neck some nerve neck uh issues that he's been dealing with. Isaiah Robertson is the second. Trevor Spates is the one that's a a, a little bit surprising because Nordame won uh won the battle to to get him to come to Notre Dame. I don't know. It was a real heated battle, but Notre Dame did win the battle to get him to come to Notre Dame. And and maybe, you know, he's had concussion issues and maybe, you know, when you're in June and July conditioning, you could do something that would, that would induce another concussion. But those are the three players that have reduced it down to 86 scholarships. Yeah. I mean, Spates, um, I had sort of received some intel that he was on the fence medically with Stanford on the way out um, that maybe this, this shouldn't have been a surprise. Um, And I I know there's some questions about like, well, why do you take him in the first place? Um, Ultimately it was, you know, it's a scholarship that never got used. (laughs) So it's not like Notre Dame lost resources on this one. Um, you know, Cole Mayberry had not really played due to the next stuff. Sounds like he'll still be around the program after checking in with his family yesterday. Uh, and then Isaiah Robertson, I think we all sort of well, had assumed like he was going to be part anyway. It sounds like Spates will still be around the program as well. Yeah. Like, like um, in terms of I, helping Lance, uh, let's face it, he is here because of Lance Taylor. If Lance Taylor right. wasn't he, your running backs coach, he wouldn't be here. No. Spates will be around the program, and I think if it wasn't <laughs> a – full-on surprise it's a full-on disappointment for Spates that he will not be given a chance to participate does that make sense yeah full-on surprise is like oh wait a minute I'm absolutely totally fine and everything's been I, I, it's been discussed with him that he is at a risk I think it's a full-on disappointment and that's that's what happens with medicals I think Mabry always knew this was coming for months right <laughs> in the back of his mind he had to know it's going to be hard yeah, yeah, they, last, had, since they last discussed year, last yeah they discussed in the fall of him sort of being getting a medical dq he yeah. wanted to go through it um apparently they you know when they went through summer conditioning and they did sort of the the stadium workout um you know it was mm-hmm. kind of the the peak summer workout then he announced to the team afterward that he was going to have to step away so um certainly goes out with a lot of credibility on the roster, uh, even though he's not somebody that we ever really got to know in the media. But, uh, you know, with, with Spates, I guess he's essentially a student assistant at this point. But I, I, 
I guess I would push back on the notion that like, well, this means more reps for Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree was always going to get reps over yeah. Trevor Spates. Um, you know, I think he was probably more of your fifth, sixth running back at best. Or or might take reps away from Jamir Smith or Sebo Flemister or something along those lines. But so how do they get down to 85? I know it's, I, I know it's only one, but it's, uh, I mean, it, it gets to be kind of a tough conversation at this point because somebody has to be the odd man out. I tell you how they get down there. Only they know and they will never tell us because they don't have to tell us who's off scholarship. They just have to show up. And if it has to be Colin Grunhard because he got his scholarship for one semester, reportedly, I mean, we don't know that to be factual, then it's Colin Grunhard. But they're never going to say Colin Grunhard went off scholarship. They're not going to say this sophomore went off scholarship after offering him a scholarship late last August. There, there's, there's no reason Notre Dame has to do it because they only have to let the NCA know. And the only way to find out is who went off scholarship is back channel. They don't. It's not a thing you have to say, you know. We'll be we'll be traveling down those back channels, and we, we, we sure, will we, we sure will. But we'll, there will never be a press release. That's a good point. Good point. Went off scholarship. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah, I mean, be one. just because there's not a press release doesn't mean we're not going to ask about it. No, and, and we should because, I, I like, if it's it sort of has to be Colin Grunhardt unless somebody else goes on medical or transfers because. If it's not, that means you pulled somebody's scholarship. Yeah, but the, remember, J.D. Bertrand came in here with the, with the knowledge that he may not be on scholarship as a freshman. So, I mean, I don't, you know, you, it, it, would all, it would all come out equally in the wash if he isn't on scholarship as a sophomore. But, Tim, I hadn't considered that, and that, that's a good point. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have to announce it. Um, and Brian Kelly doesn't have to answer it. It's the same thing as why was Kevin Austin suspended. He doesn't have to answer the question. That's know? true. I, 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 I find it – I mean, I don't know and, – and credit to Mick Asaph for handling it the way he did. I mean, he could have said, hey, well, he, that, Mick Asaph would never – wouldn't do that. But, I mean, he basically said, I'm not going to – I'm not going to come back for my fifth year. But we all – presumably, right, that they said, hey, Mick, we can't. We can't you know, I talked to Mick today. Okay. Um, and <laughs> – it's it's terrible timing um, because of why his company is taking off. Um, but you know when they quarantined everybody and everybody had to stay home for the last few months. Well, his yoke gaming took off like crazy because every high school and college student started playing video games <laughs> all the time. And his concept, uh, along with Nick Wisher and his friend from uh, from Atlanta, Bailey O'Sullivan or Bailey Sullivan, excuse me, um, their idea of having ability to play video games with your favorite athlete really timed out well with quarantine and COVID. And uh, <laughs> he is the CEO of this company and he was, they, had time, they had time on their hands, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a terrible reason for something to take off, but like, Hey, I mean, zoom, zoom, yeah. also, you know, it's, let's a, be it's, a, it's a savior for us. And I'm sure a yeah. lot of people, uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, Rocco Spindler verbally committed to Notre Dame. Huge catch for them, despite just being a guard, as some people like to say. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be a great player. I had an opportunity to spend about 20, 25 minutes on the phone with Mark Spindler uh, yesterday. And, and as, as I told him, I mean, I'm old enough and been covering them uh, learning football long enough to remember that it was disappointing that they didn't get Mark Spindler, and he went to he went to Penn State. But he's a piece of work, and Irish Illustrated subscribers can look uh, look forward to a, a story with him. He's he's a, he's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be around. When when people say that Rocco Spindler is country strong, uh, part of it has to do with the fact that the Spindler family owns a two hundred and fifty acre farm in which 
Rocco Spindler has been bailing hay for many, many years. So he is, he is country strong uh, in every sense of the word, but I, you know, really great catch for Notre Dame. I, I still think they're a little bit shy in the, in, in the true offensive tackle category in the four man uh, offensive line class. Uh, but I know the term musket gets overused, but um, there would have been a riot had, had Rocco Spiller not chosen Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge sigh of relief for Jeff Quinn um, in every way because they absolutely had to have him just from a number standpoint and then just from a reputational standpoint for, for Quinn and Notre Dame's offensive line. Like, that's that's the position where Notre Dame is supposed to be able to pick and choose among elite prospects. And if they had missed Spindler and only had sort of Blake Fisher as the the one really elite high-end guy, that, that would have been a bad look after signing just two a year before in Carmody and Baker, who were both top-end guys. You guys hit the nail on the head, I think. I will add two things. Any offensive – any Notre Dame fan that says he's just a guard, I mean, shame <laughs> on you because the most famous human being in the last five years is just a guard at Notre Dame. Yeah, and uh, he changed film viewing forever for all of us. <laughs> yeah. And number two, Bill Walsh once called Charles Haley country strong. If Rocco Spindler's country strong like that, I am all down with that term he's for now on. Because he's quick. He's not that quick. He's <laughs> he's quick. You know, you could argue, and I don't know how anybody's going to finish up the class of twenty twenty one. But and I know some people are still holding out for for Fisher to be uh, Blake Fisher to be an offensive tackle, but I. I think he's kind of already outgrown that. My point is that a Spindler-Fisher tandem at offensive guard is bound to be as good, if not better, than anybody else in the country in, it, in the class of 2021. No argument there. No, no. That's, uh, I, I'm with you on Blake Fisher already being a guard. Uh, Tosh Baker, I mean, <laughs> people have said Tosh Baker is the most obvious tackle prospect that will stay at tackle maybe since Ronnie Stanley. I guess Mike McGlinchey was never going to move to guard, but there's, there's two of them. Um, I think what it comes down to, Christoffic seems like he's cer- certainly going to be a tackle. I guess what it comes down to is, is Quinn Carroll become a guard like Tommy Kramer and Alex Bars did? Uh, Michael, Car- If he does, Michael Carmody kind of has to stay at tackle, right? That it just Obviously, more players are joining in the future, but that's kind of how you look at the roster in the post-2020 era. I know Jarrett Patterson can play tackle. Um, that just seems like a more of yeah, a big more of a big move if you kind of when you have other options. But it's a good point about Patterson because I'm not real. I know that when I did a film review of Quinn Carroll, I said I think he can be a good tackle, but I think he can be a really good guard. I, yeah. I kind of felt all along that Michael Carmody is a guard, although I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, one of the things I wrote about in today's Thursday Thoughts, and, and people brought it up that okay, now that. Now that the Big Ten's not playing or the Pac-12, some of the guys that Notre Dame um, lost in their recruitment to schools from those two conferences, does Notre Dame go back and maybe revisit some of those recruitments? And I think that absolutely they are from what from what we're told. When you look at Michigan, uh, Crippen was a guy that they pulled away from. Um, Tristan Bounds was a, is, a, is another project, but in, in, a, in a time, in a class when they haven't, um, you know, pull a, a lot of offensive tackle candidates. Maybe you revisit that again. I don't know. Maybe or maybe you just turn the page. It'd be a difficult pitch, right? I mean, because what what are you selling? No, I, mean, I, no, I, I get it. I, I get it, yeah. Pete. I, I know. I mean, you know, because that, it's not like he's going to be on the team, yeah, on the team now, right? Right, right, exactly. 
I get that. So, um, you know, I don't know, but is we do believe that Notre Dame is going to look at, at, at some of these guys from the conference and say, all right, maybe we want to revisit that a little bit, especially at, uh, at a position of need. Well, so, I think, I mean, I was just going to say before I, wrap, I, I had a conversation with uh, Brian Pulley in a while back and he's like, look, there's a group of guys that are committed elsewhere that they've continued to stay in touch with. And those guys have indicated Notre Dame when I can take visits, I'm visiting you, even though I'm committed to this other school. And that all was before the Big Ten and Pac-12 decisions. So I, th- I think that the cancellations are don't really have a whole lot to do with Notre Dame coming back around to guys who are committed elsewhere. They just happen to be committed to schools who aren't playing. Uh, but those are prospects that we're going to continue to look at Notre Dame regardless. Yeah. And the, other, the third guy that I was forgetting as I was trying to explain myself was wide receiver Andrew Anthony, who, in my opinion – I, I didn't think that he was a guy that could really help Notre Dame. He's the third of the three most prominent guys that are committed to Michigan that Notre Dame was heavily involved in. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back with segment two, burning up the boards. The first question from Jay Paulus 22. I see Braden Lindsay has changed his number to zero. Is this true? Have any players ever worn zero at Notre Dame? It, it is true, and but it, a rule was added this year where you could wear zero. I think they're, they're just trying to buy space within the numbers because you have so many repeat numbers. Is that the idea behind it? Yeah. Uh, so no, yes. no, nobody has ever worn zero at Notre Dame. I'm not a big fan of the number zero. When I saw Rex Fluger change to it in basketball, I just – Zero to me is like fingernails on a on a chalkboard. I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, if Braden Lindsay wants to wear zero, God bless you, kid. Go for it. I just say, if you were a super fast receiver who took a lot of end arounds and funky handoffs, wouldn't 25 be a good number in Notre Dame? <laughs> yes. Maybe I am Ty- with you. That is maybe Tyree bought maybe Tyree bought 25 off him. I literally remember paying a teammate of mine at Notre Dame. I, I, I transferred in and so I had to sit out my sophomore year and he wore number one. And I, I think I bought it for, I don't know, 10 bucks back in the, back in the late seventies, early eighties, 10 bucks. I thought that was a pretty good payment. Sounds like an NC rules violation in some way. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Jay underscore Donham with the Kevin Austin injury. What do you expect from Javon McKinley? The first four games over under 300 yards and two and a half touchdowns. Uh, way under. Because I think Ben Skoranek is going to get all those reps. Yeah, I think I think, uh, under, I think significantly under for Javon McKinley, and I would say slightly over for the two of them. Yeah, if they were playing, if they were playing Western Michigan, maybe Javon McKinley would would have a big game. But that that's out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think McKinley moves up to yeah, number two on the depth chart, or, sure. or or is still number two on the depth chart because I do believe Skoranek who's in the starting lineup at W. I wasn't, I, I was, I've never really been sure exactly how they were going to try to use Skoranek, whether he was going to split the time with Austin at one, two, or whether he was going to get reps at the X, which I'm not even sure if they were, 
if they ever really um, strongly considered doing that. So, um, yeah, I would say under. I think Javon McKinley is still in the prove-it stage with with the coaching staff, but certainly a healthy Javon McKinley um, with the way he started out last year or at least the first uh, two-thirds of the season has a chance to be in a mix, but I, I, I would certainly take under on those uh, those two. I think you combine them for over, though, right? McKinley and Skronik, go over that? Yes. You would hope so, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, three games against That's 75 yards. Yeah. I mean, Lens, Lindsay and Tremble and those guys can get a lot of yards, too. Yeah, I mean, I think if you just flipped out Skoranek for McKinley in this question, you could have an interesting, like, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I would tend to bet over. I feel like he's going to be probably the, the biggest would, surprise player on the still roster. Be a, yeah, that would still be 100 yards a game. I mean, I'm not okay, sure. I'm sorry. I, no, you know, four games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, four games. Yards, I, was four games. I was thinking three. Yeah. I mean, that's reasonable. You have one big game, and then you're sort of in the, you know, 50 yards in the other ones. Bogan 1989, what are your expectations of Chris Watt and his involvement with the offensive line? I think the expectations for Chris Watt's impact on the offensive line are a little blown out of proportion. I'm not saying that that's uh, that Bogan 1989 is the one that's blowing it out of proportion, but I mean, Chris Watt is learning from Jeff Quinn. I, I'm sure there are things that Chris Watt can tell Jeff Quinn about, um, you know, some of the nuances of play of offensive line play because it's, it's, fairly fresh in, in his life, but he's just learning how to be a coach. So, you know, if he can relate well with the players, I, I think that can be important. Somebody that they can, they feel like they can bounce ideas off. Uh, but, but if people think that Chris Watt's going to be teaching Jeff Quinn things, I think it's completely the other way around. And, and hopefully he can develop into, you know, a quality offensive line coach and can, can forge a career in that direction. I think that, you know, you look at Nick Lazinski last year with linebackers, it's hard for me to look at Watt and feel like it would even be that level of involvement or expertise because Lazinski had, had his own room uh, at the Pat League level, you know, and had more GA experience. So it's, um, I, th- I think Watt is, you know, probably more of a sounding board. He's there to listen, right. probably not yeah. to teach. I think I think with the guards, I mean, a couple of years in the NFL, the teachings he got there, he can – as Tim said, nuance some things that look this, this, I know this is what we're teaching. Um, if it's not working for you, try to adjust this, you know, and he, and he, he runs it through Quinn. Like this is what worked for me. I know this is the exact proper technique. Maybe there, there's little nuances. Great players can pass on that a very good up and coming player like Aaron Banks or Josh Lug or kind of the higher level guys. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't think it's going to be Chris Watt explaining everything to the freshmen and stuff like, I think he could really just help tweak some stuff for guys. No, I, I think I agree with you, Tim. I, mean, I think Chris Watt's uh, interaction and communication with the offensive line is more one-on-one than it is. Yes. That, that's how know, it, that's, I mean, he's that's not going, he's not awesome. going to stand up and be talking to the, the, the entire group of interior offensive linemen. I think it's more one-on-one and a sounding board. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think that's how he makes an impact in Notre Dame, but, you know, Chris Watt comes in here saying, Hey man, teach me how to be a, an offensive line coach. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll help him moving forward. Not Jay Tafel. Let's assume the ACC, SEC and big 12 play the season in the fall and the PAC 12 and big 10 in the spring. If it were up to you guys, how would you decide the national champion? I'm a fall champion and a spring champion. Me too. I'm ignoring the spring's involvement in the fall and they're not going to change the playoffs. So you could easily do ACC, SEC, big 12 champ and plus one. 
number four. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you're not going to wait until the spring for them to play to, to, to make a determination about, you know, the other three conferences. And, you know, I don't know. People, I, I saw someone on board who's going to play in the Rose Bowl. I, we, we really don't have, we have, we don't know what's going to happen bowl situation-wise. Uh, do they have a Final Four with the the three conferences? We, I was going to say, I, I think I misspoke when I said they're not going to change anything because I just changed it accidentally by having three conference champions and, and the fourth team, but that, that's not what they do now. So that would be logical, though, right? You have three conferences. You don't worry about Notre Dame anymore, and you just have a, an at-large team. You still vote. Oh, I like it, yeah. Yeah, like, do you still vote for – let's just say everything plays out great and they play 10 games apiece and they play conference championship games. I guess they're not going to change the format, though, right? You're still going to vote for the top four. I don't know why you do – you would probably just do the playoff, and in the spring the national championship game would be the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Has any of – I mean – Oh, that's different, too. Yeah, has it been decided – you know, that the committee is going to pick four. We, we just we found out a couple of days ago that three yeah. were in and two were out. Yeah, next week there's supposed to be a college okay. football playoff. All right. Cool. All right, so we'll we'll find that out down the road. I like yep. my idea, though. I want three conference champions <laughs> now there's three conferences. Okay, well, let's – here, I'll make a call for you, and you can go ahead and make the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I'd like, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a voice in this. Yes, set that up for me. Wreckers 33 hot. If the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 play this fall – what program opportunities does this create for Notre Dame? Brian Kelly and Dalen Hayes on the Today Show rebuild strength and PR. Are there ways this can help with recruiting and brand? I, you know, I kind of touched upon in segment one recruiting wise. I mean, I guess it allows you to continue maybe maybe a little bit more of a, a active recruitment of, of of players that were considering Pac-12 or, or Big Ten or had already committed. But, you know, I, Certainly the brand. I mean, I certainly Brian Kelly and Dalen Hayes represent Notre Dame very well on the Today Show. Uh, but Notre Dame's never had any trouble with PR and, and running players out in front of the camera to speak on behalf of Notre Dame and the program. And Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly's been since the pandemic broke. I mean, I just think that Brian Kelly has been really, really good in front of the camera. Not not perfect every time because he's been in front of the camera a whole bunch now, considering that there hasn't been any games played. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think Notre Dame and then now being a part of the ACC, a one shot deal. And if it does come down to three conferences and naming, naming a national champion, I mean, I'm working on a story about difficulty of schedule in the ACC. I mean, clearly Clemson and Notre Dame separate themselves from the rest of the ACC. That, so, I mean, they, they have an opportunity uh, to win that conference. So uh, brand, Notre Dame brand. Yeah, I think that's always available to Notre Dame. And Dalen Hayes handled going from cornerback to outside linebacker to his true position of defensive end very well when he was introduced during that Today Show moment. <laughs> did you hear that part? No, yeah, I sure did not. <laughs> He's one of the best yeah, cornerbacks in the country. Excuse me, outside linebackers, and Hayes didn't blink. Both wrong. Both let wrong. Him off his back, and he was he did, obviously a veteran now at these. Uh, outside, closer to the outside linebacker, certainly. Yeah, that, that's that's a lot. <laughs> How does it feel to be named a captain? <laughs> that's an all-time moment man there is <laughs> great <laughs> i wasn't named the captain yet. <laughs> judge, judge arthur vandalay does it make sense for the nca to get rid of the non-conference nah, acc plus- i'm sorry does it make sense for the acc to get rid of the non-conference plus one games entirely and have a 10 game season 
this could potentially allow the ACC to push back the season to September 26th, which is when the SEC is scheduled. Well, it I don't, made sense to do this before they added the plus one. <laughs> this is like the one thing about the ACC schedule that I found just ridiculous was this plus one, and then you end up with Liberty and Western Michigan. It just, I don't know, that, that made no sense to me at all. Well, the last thing, I don't know if it's the last thing, but they don't want to push the schedule back to September 26th start now. I mean, they just announced it, wait, a week ago today, right? A week ago, a month ago yes. today or so it seems. I would pull uh, up. September 5th. <laughs> we got to get a game in, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't no. <laughs> you don't change you don't change the timing of the schedule other than the plus one game. Now I'm not sure that they're going to do that. And that's one of the first questions to ask Brian Kelly when we get an opportunity, actually Jack, Jack Swarbrick. But uh, you know, I don't think Notre Dame's going to replace Western Michigan. I don't think that they should. I don't know that the ACC will then eliminate agreements that they made with Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. I think in three instances they play ACC schools. But I would think that one of the last things they want to do is change the schedule again. They just did that a week ago. No, adding a non-essential, to uh, use the term of our of the modern era, adding a non-essential game makes no sense for Notre Dame. That is a perfect time to have a game off after you've played a game and look at your protocols. Yep. And you buy yourself a game. You don't need to play that game at all. You have your stupid data point that everybody has talked about. It's called a conference championship game. Yeah, I think, a good, <laughs> you know, reassess your, your protocols. I think that, you know, yeah. you got game one on your belt. Okay, where are we? How are we feeling? How are we testing, et cetera? I think that's a good idea. Wash ND, do you think the Pac-12 canceling their season could be something that Notre Dame could use to help sway wide receiver Dante Thornton, who was considering Oregon, correct? I'm sure he still is considering Oregon. I suppose you could try it. Um, I just don't. I just don't think there's going to be a whole lot of headway made with that recruiting pitch. In the see how important football is to us here at Notre Dame, and it's not important at Oregon. Um, I just I have a hard time seeing a recruit buying that and being swayed. Yeah, because because in a couple of weeks, ACC, SEC, Big Twelve could be scrapped, and then spring looks really good to Dante Thornton. Right. I'm sure you try it, and I agree with Pete that it's not that tactic to take to say, "Hey, you know, watch us this fall. Keep us in mind. Look at this yeah, is what you this is what point. you could be doing here because everybody's if they're playing, everybody's watching three conferences this fall, and you you might as yeah. well use that moment, that platform to draw to try to reinterest people. Dante Thornton's good. I also would like them to keep recruiting Christian Lewis, who verbally committed to Kentucky, but uh, Notre Dame has other ideas about that. Harry Benedict. I don't like the comparison of players, but if there isn't a Quentin Nelson that went to Notre Dame, is there a Rocco Spindler that will go to Notre Dame? I think what I had difficulty. It It, it took me a while. Yeah, but I think what he's saying is if there was never a Quentin Nelson at Notre Dame, will people say, hey, look, the next Rocco Spindler? Mm -hmm. Oh, I looked at it as if there was not a Quentin Nelson, would Rocco Spindler ever have gone to Notre Dame? um, Judging (laughs) by his. Judging by his commitment video, he would have. <laughs> However, Rock Quentin Nelson made it cool at Notre Dame again for offense. I mean, it is look, Zach Martin is maybe the best tackle Notre Dame's most accomplished offensive lineman Notre Dame will ever have. He was the best player. He's one of the three best players on the team for four straight years. He started 52 straight games, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Something about Zach Martin isn't quite as cool as Quentin Nelson with people watching film because Quentin Nelson brings out everybody's excitement in watching well, the guy play. It's because because uh, 
Zach Martin's more of a technician. I know. Yeah. And Quentin uh, Nelson's is. more of a, I'm going to kick your ass. We underestimate the coolness sometimes, man. I know Randy Moss in an interview after uh, his Hall of Fame speech, he talked about Notre Dame originally because someone, thank God, asked him. And he said, are you kidding me, man? All I could see was Jerome Bettis and those cool spats, which is the white tape on the shoes. He said, Notre Dame was the it place to be. That's the only thing I wanted to do because they were cool. Quentin Nelson's cool. He murders people and then sits on them. I mean, I'm sure that's something you use, right? That's How could Rocco Spiller not look at that and think, holy cow, I, I, that, that's what I'm going to do. I, yeah, it's, he's, he was like a mixtape highlight yeah. of an offensive guard. Um, it's incredible. Like it's, and he came along at the perfect time when you can post those little videos on Twitter, like 10 right. years ago, I think that all would have been lost on people. Okay. Now I see how you interpreted it. And I think you're correct. And I, I, I apologize, Terry Benedict, uh, because if Quentin Nelson hadn't gone to Notre Dame, would Rocco Spindler be going to Notre Dame? Uh, it's a good question. My conversation with Mark Spindler, uh, about choosing Notre Dame, uh, you know, you would, you, you would still have, yeah, you're right. Quentin Nelson really stand, really stands out. I mean, Ronnie Stanley and and Zach Martin certainly uh, would set a precedent, but neither one played guard. No, I, I I feel like Quentin Nelson is a recruiting tool that brings together the fact that Mike McGlinchey, Zach, Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, and Mike McGlinchey and Nick Martin form like an all-pro line, you know? It's yeah. just Quentin Nelson has the it factor. Ronnie Stanley people are just realizing how good he is in the NFL. Does that make sense? He's just really, really good at his job. And Zach Martin has just always been great at his job. There are, everywhere you look, there's something about Quentin Nelson murdering someone. It's it's just a different thing. I mean, Notre Dame put out a graphic that Spindler then tweeted out of him and Quentin Nelson and sort of like a passing of the torch vibe to it. Like there's a reason they use Quentin Nelson and not Nick Martin or Ronnie Stanley or Mike McGlinchey. Because Quentin Nelson is cool, like O'Malley is saying. <laughs> yeah, and but I will say again, in conversation with Mark Spindler, the, the quote that he had used, not when I spoke with him, but I saw it in leading up to the interview, was that Notre Dame offers a national championship education, which I thought was a which I yeah. thought was a great way of putting it. So that certainly would have played a role, and not to mention uh, Grandpa George, uh, Mark, Mark's dad and Rocco's grandfather saying, Hey, I want you, <laughs> I'd like you to go to Notre Dame. I don't uh, mean to belabor it at all for Spindler's decision. I'm saying that Nelson then and now and next year and probably the next year is a great recruiting tool for Notre Dame. No doubt. No doubt about it. MMB four with COVID testing media will most likely not see anything as to not reveal players who may be sitting out. I'm not sure if I read that right, but he's absolutely correct. Agree? Sad day for all of us. Uh, yes, except for uh, Pete has been told uh, that they will try to accommodate us for a couple of uh, in-stadium. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He- heavy, bold, italicized try in the try to accommodate us. Yeah, like- that was kind of like the other day when I said that Notre Dame, uh, Brian Kelly would have a Zoom press conference. Uh, after the first practice, I probably overplayed it because Notre Dame then did not have uh, the Zoom press conference. So they will try. Certainly, we're not going to have access uh, to the uh, Irish Athletic Center uh, or the Labar practice fields. It's too, it's too confining. Uh, totally understand where they're coming from there. In the stadium, we can spread out. We can spread out from each other. As long as O'Malley can, he is within shouting distance of me, we can watch – practice together and Pete if you would like to I'll, I'll be in the middle and you two guys can be 25 feet apart from me on 
on each side and we can all work together. But uh, uh. yeah, the comment, the comment was made, we are unable to accommodate in-person media access due to health and safety protocols. So I think that's, that's in place. Uh, and at the most, a couple of, a couple of spots in the stadium. It's unfortunate, but it's that kind of year. I, I sent a text to you guys last night. It just occurred to me, and this is his original point, I think, with COVID testing. Being there, we know who's out because of COVID. Yes. Not yes. being there, we don't. Notre Dame is, to their credit, to their credit in this case, very er, steadfast in protecting student privacy. It's to their detriment when people get caught smoking weed and are out for 12 games. But it, in this case, it's to their, it is to their credit. I feel like when there's a positive test, we won't be in there. I do believe they want us to be able to go in there and watch in the stadium because we have zero contact with players who are in the stadium. There's, there's, it's literally, it doesn't matter if we're in there or not in, ter- in the COVID world inside that stadium. What matters is if we see, in this case, seven people missing and there's 20 reporters, it's easy to figure out who's missing when that's going on. And in the future, if somebody prominent is missing too, is just, it's yeah. not a risk Brian Kelly probably cares about taking it, not even just like media relations trying to help us out. Why does Brian right. Kelly want us to know who's not there? Again, me kind of misinterpreting the question there. I mean, we're, yeah, you reveal too much. Uh, not not just, you know, depth charts. No. no yeah, I mean, it's not, not just the pecking or a position, but holy crap, he's not here. Yeah. Um, and you're already getting, you know, just based upon pictures and video yesterday, you're already getting speculation about, okay, which of the two that tested positive now? I remember before I joined Irish Illustrated and Pete, you were with Irish Illustrated, you did when we were, I don't know if we just didn't see many practice, spring practices one year or fall, but you broke down the video that they sent out. Oh, yeah. Remember there was a highlight video you were like breaking Those down. shots of like who's in the background. And like... <laughs> yeah. So that's, that is where we're all, I feel bad that might be stolen, that idea going forward here because we have no other uh, Yeah, I watched the video they put out and there was there was really very little. I, I think I saw Quinn Carroll in the background of one of the videos. I'm like, all right, doesn't look, he has a knee brace on. That's a good sign. Like I saw Wusu Karamo on the other field. Yeah, we I, saw, yeah I saw that one too. I don't, right, I don't know are. if he looked very good, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, didn't looks look very, he looks like he's lost weight I will admit, that's great i will admit um ruining a minute of my morning because a poster said i don't see ian book in the photos he was not in the photos so I, of course i click on the photos i don't see Ian book either but then there he is throwing passes in the video so my soul my reporter soul died a little having to do that today i felt kind of gross yeah Domer Golden, we're on the cusp of a Notre Dame football season in which USC and Michigan don't even exist. Do you accredit this to the luck of the Irish or to the Lord's divinity and clearly favoring our later lady, the University of Notre Dame? I would especially love to hear Tim O'Malley answer this one. You know, I credit it to the latter, but I have to go against the Lord's divinity here. I, I feel like a sinner because I love playing USC and Michigan as a Notre Dame uh, writer and alum and <laughs> growing up. So feel bad saying that, but I, I miss I, my favorite weeks are, are Michigan week number one and USC week number two. And people older than me and younger than me think that's weird. But, you know, Notre Dame didn't lose to USC when I was growing up from fourth grade through my college graduation. So I just didn't feel the same way about that rivalry as the Michigan one. I'm going to miss the uh, warm hatred of the Michigan week. I like the burning hmm. distaste the teams have for each other. I wish they would play. I'd like to play Michigan on, on the 19th. That's the only game I want to schedule, the 19th against Michigan. <laughs> yeah, Pete, I'm I, ready for one game. 
I, I completely defer to O'Malley on this one. So Well, I was going to say, Pete, I don't think you're going to choose that it's Lord's Divinity. <laughs> I thought I had to choose one of the two. University <laughs> of Notre Dame. I found it interesting through the years, having, having covered a lot of Notre Dame USC games, a lot of Notre Dame Michigan games too, but USC every year. Um, you know that, I mean, I, I don't feel the hate for USC other than in California. Uh, if you're a Nordic fan in California, but there's nothing like the hate for Michigan fans uh, uh, or for Michigan among Nordic fans, uh, which I find, I find really, really interesting. You know, a good, good portion of my early life, Nordic didn't play Michigan. And it was, it was just a fascinating matchup in the late seventies <clears> when it started. But uh, a lot of distaste from Nordic fans towards Michigan. There's, there's no doubt about that. Dylan Murphy, too. What are your favorite simple pleasures of a normal football season? Uh, you know, I, to, to me, it always goes back to that that feeling in the pit of my stomach as they line up and you hear the crowd and you know they're about to kick off a football game. I, it, I think I said this last time I mentioned this, that it it gives me the feeling of being an athlete again, the butterflies in my stomach when Notre Dame's about ready to not, – not so much when they – are playing Bowling Green in New Mexico, but when it's a big game, well, think about what, think about the emotions that we felt at Georgia last year uh, in, in the lead up to that. Oh my God, the pregame is the longest ever, but it was, it was but the a walk from the parking lot was so short. So it, got, <laughs> it was That's right. not like, not like Notre Dame. One could I, have forgot heart, about, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. One could have a heart attack walking from the uh, Notre Dame parking lot. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> But no, I mean the lead up. But think of it. Remember, I mean, I know you remember that the atmosphere of Georgia last year. When you're in that, is just the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, I mean that. That I love sort of the pregame before kickoff. I always enjoy when I can sort of violate my credential and get down on the field before the game and just sort of like mix with people down there and you sort of like pick up some of the buzz. I like that. Um, I like the first piece of Papa John's that I have after the game. And then I hate myself after the third one. Um, <laughs> and then I, I mean, I enjoy leaving the press box as well. Like I think it's, I, I like sort of, you filed your story. Uh, a lot of times I'll even record a podcast there too. And then, but then when you leave the stadium, your mind is still racing about like all the other things you want to write. Like you want to go back and look at and rewatch the tape and, I like that sort of uh, creative buzz too. It's it's that that's really fun to me. I like uh, Friday at about two o'clock. I think we all are on the same boat. Ooh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. We have filed. We are ready. There's a game coming, and we are off from about two o'clock Friday to to the morning till Saturday morning. I mean, that is you know, there's not a lot of breaking news Fridays for Notre Dame football. We have finished our stories. That's a great feeling. I love the walk from now the library lot through campus. I like that a lot more than my old one at the Joyce Center. Um, when you're just walking through tailgates, that was fun too. But there's something peaceful about the walk from library lot to the game. You can kind of smell the uh, you can smell the tailgates a little bit and kind of get a feel of what's going on. There's a buzz outside that is different for big games, of course. And the opening game is always fun um, for that walk. I like when well, – this is an interesting way of looking at it. I think some people that if you – when Notre Dame is involved in the mix, it's fun to listen to the national stuff. Like we see, we see six and one Notre Dame or seven and zero Notre Dame, and you're wondering, oh, I mean, are, they, this, are we going to cover a playoff team? And I think it's fun to hear. That's when I kind of tune into all the 
that's when I care what other people might be saying about Notre Dame instead of just doing my job. I like to listen to the national stuff. It's fun. And then, you know, when you, they lose to Michigan and you're driving home and three hours of rain in Ann Arbor and you realize that the season is over for in terms of coverage. It's not that fun. So there's a difference uh, in, in those things. And Pete, my feeling is when I get home Saturday night, I shut down for about an hour, no matter what I want to write. Cause I'm done. I've done a call. You know, I've done all the things. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, the feeling of turning on like the sec game for an hour at 10 o'clock at night is just a relaxing. Ooh, that's a good one. That relaxing change from it doesn't, it doesn't exist on the road because you feel like you have to do more work in the hotel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do. I guess okay. because you don't or you get home and the Pac-12 games kicking off or yeah. something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, we're off from the middle of Friday afternoon until the next morning, unless Jafar Armstrong has a knee infection and isn't going to play, or unless Ian Book is about to displace Brandon Wimbush in the starting lineup, and we have the story. <laughs> Maybe a little tricky. The, yeah, the, the, adre- the, agen- the adrenaline is flowing just like it's game game day at that point. I have one for Jack Freeman on road games when I land and I have worked like a maniac in the airport and on my airplane to get done with the who and what to watch for Saturday morning. <laughs> and I sent him that story from like the baggage carousel in Roanoke or in Clemson. I just say, Hey man, talk to you tomorrow. Done. <laughs> that is the best feeling in the world. Is uh, I just want that completely off my plate as soon as I have a chance. Last question, Joseph Ramos. How much enthusiasm are you guys losing by the day in anticipation for the season and covering the sport we all love and cherish? None. Until you said 30 days. Uh, <laughs> Why did you have to tell me that? I felt like it was 30 like a- days <laughs> until kickoff. That's I don't a- know. I've, I've lost a lot. Just, I mean, I listened to your sort of emergency podcast on Monday that felt like outdated the second I hit play. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It just, it's tough. It's like the fact that the, the hammer is ready to come down on the season at any moment, like every practice, even if we're not there, it just feels like a gift that you're, (laughs) you're waiting for the next one to be taken away. So it's, I have a hard time getting in the mental space that there's going to be a football season this fall. So it's that, that takes away a lot of the anticipation for me. Well, and also, you know, this is a time of year and we'll see what happens in the next 30 days, but um, you know, you kind of wake up every day during camp anticipating that you're either going to see a practice or you're going to have access to Brian Kelly or you're going to have access to the players. And then, you know, that continues the preseason process, the preseason narrative along. But when you wake up and you find out like yesterday that we aren't, uh, we aren't going to uh, even speak with Brian Kelly, it's, you know, it's kind of a downer because you're, you're scrambling. You're, we're watching like I said, little short videos and and, uh, and pictures just to see who's on the field. That does erode some of your enthusiasm and some of your some of your optimism. Um, and I and I tend to agree with with Pete that I, you know it it it's still and because it's been for months. I mean, it's still hard to fully imagine that we are going to actually be covering a game at home on September twelfth. I am taking the opposite viewpoint. The season is right around the corner. I am imbued with pride as a long-standing card-carrying member of the ACC media and proud of my conference affiliation that they will attempt to play football. And I might start an ACC camp. I might start an SEC camp if they play football on the 12th. I'm gonna, I, I, God bless the SEC. Look at them. <laughs> well, <laughs> look at them. Well, heck, they're, start, they're starting at the end of the month. They're – ACC's going for it right out of the street. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. 
Yeah, the idea that Notre Dame, a very <laughs> cautious institution, will start the college football season against Duke is it's just hard for me to get my head around that. Got the chant, Pete. ACC, when you're walking around trying to find a story, well, right? And there may be, and there's this other possibility, and then we're going to wrap it up here, but there may be um, a game in Notre Dame Stadium on September 12th, and we won't be invited. Yeah, that's not something I was going to think about today either. But <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that might I, be I, talk, guys. Well, I, think, I think we'll be invited to not sit in the press box. So you have to balance your workflow. You probably want to go and leave almost. It, like it's hard. It would be hard for us, the three of us, for what we do on game day to file stories without the advantage of a working desk. Yeah, I would like stuff. to. I would like to say memo to University of Notre Dame. We can't do our job sitting in the stands. No, if they set up like remember at Aviva Stadium, if you want to pretend we're in Ireland to start the game, they had, we had that beautiful outdoor setup where. Yeah. You yeah. have a desk. You have a desk. Yes, if, yes, if yes. Anything like that would allow. I'm just being rational, like social social distancing outdoors for all of us with many. Okay. All right, let me cha- let me change that. We can't do our job covering Notre Dame at home against Syracuse on December 5th in the stands. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> September, September, yes. October, yeah. maybe. End of November, December 5th. Not going to happen. If they get there, I'm okay with filing late. On December 5th. Does that sound good, Jack? I will send you the story if that is game number 10, about an hour and a half after the game. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. We've we've whined as much as we can <laughs> for today. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as possible. <laughs>